Good morning. How are y'all today? Wasn't it great? How about that choir and praise band? Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. I love this. I love you. It's so good to be together. I had a great trip this week. God gave me the opportunity to go down to Peru this week and share with some of your wonderful, precious International Mission Board missionaries, gathering of 23 of them as we came together and they're being encouraged in a mentoring program that is helping them work new missionaries through the transition stage of getting on the field and all of the adjustments and it's really wonderful to see how hard they work, not only at their own work, but with helping each other. So it was a joyful, joyful, blessed week. It's great to get back home last night and see my family and be back here today with you. Um, how many of you know that I am ADHD? How many of you have personal witness to that? Yeah, good. Can I get a witness? All right. You just look around. I, I am ADHD. I am attention deficit and I have hyperactivity. And yes, for me, they use the word disorder, but for me, it seems normal. So um, it's weird. Sometimes I'll have someone comment. They'll say, well, the other day I was talking to you and I don't think you were listening to me. I'll say, I probably wasn't. There was probably like a bug on the wall. And he started moving and everything in me just kind of locked onto that. And your voice just grew really quiet and that bug grew really big in my mind. And I was just there with the bug. And it's hard. It's hard to be that way. Um, and, and it's a challenge for me because I think it's normal. And w- when you think that something like ADHD is normal and then you hang around people who aren't, you wonder, what do they do with their lives? Like, why, why can you focus on some one thing for so long? I like to, you know, look at it all. Um, so it's a challenge. One of the things we're looking at in the book of Hebrews is that their church was suffering from attention deficit. And it was a disorder. And it was very serious. Now, when we read the book of Hebrews, there are a couple of things we need to put right in front of us. One of the first ones is, the book of Hebrews was intended to be read in one sitting. I don't know if you've ever done that, but it's pretty meaty. It's like sitting down to one of those steaks that they have those restaurants and say, you know, if you can eat this 40-ounce steak in one hour, it's free. If not, you pay seventy nine ninety five. And folks are all the time saying, I can, I can do that, I can do that in about two-thirds of the way through. They're going, I can't do it, I can't do it. And they said, 80 bucks right here, lay it on us. Um, see, the book of Hebrews is very grand in its themes and in, in its theology and what it's explaining, but... It's important for us as we study it and as I preach through it that you understand it was intended to be read in one sitting. So there's a lot of times when we're working through Hebrews that I'm going to have to work really hard not to be ADHD. I'm going to have to be going back to some things we've said and looking forward to some things that we're going to hear so that we can properly contextualize the truths in this book. Now as we get into chapter 2, I want to make notice of how chapter 2 begins. It says, 
for this reason, or some translations read, therefore. So it's at this point we need to tie three important thoughts together to help us go into chapter 2. The first thought comes in chapter 1 where it says, God spoke through His Son. That thought needs to be in your head and in my head when we get to chapter 2, verse 1, and here, therefore, or for this reason. Because the writer is reflecting first on God spoke through His Son. The second thing that needs to be in our mind when we get here is that Jesus is who the book of Hebrews says He is in chapter 2. He's far superior to the angels. They worship Him. He is the heir of all of creation. He is the creator. He is the sustainer. He is the redeemer. So when we speak of Him, we're speaking of someone worthy of our worship, high and lofty, high and lifted up, as we just sang about. So here's Jesus. God spoke through and in Him who He is. So the first thing we take into chapter 2 is who Jesus is and that God spoke through Him. That's why chapter 2 starts with the word, therefore. So let's tie three thoughts together. Who Jesus is, okay, and then the phrase, what we have heard. Look in chapter 2, verse 1. For this reason, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard. Jesus is what we have heard. Keep the writer of the Hebrews' thoughts together. God spoke, so what we heard is Jesus. The third word that needs to come, or the third thought, is found down in verse 3, the word salvation. So as we come into chapter 2, these three thoughts come into one. God spoke, you need to know who He is, who Jesus is. What we heard is God speaking, who Jesus is. And what we heard when God spoke through Jesus was the message of salvation. God spoke through His Son. We need to know who He is. That's what we heard, and what we heard is the message of salvation. So when we get into chapter 2 and it says, for this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. We need to pay extreme attention to what God says to us through Jesus because that's salvation. So when we introduced the book of Hebrews, we said God is going to tell us through the writer of the Hebrews three things. He's going to tell us that Jesus is worthy of worship because of who He is. Second thing he's going to tell us is that Jesus is worthy to be trusted in because of what he has done. And the third thing is Jesus is worthy of being enduringly hoped in because of where he is taking us. That's how we started. That's still the theme in chapter 2. So when we get into chapter 2, we get a word that's going to characterize our message today. Look in chapter 2, verse 1. For this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away. This is the warning in chapter 2. Don't drift. 
God spoke, don't drift from what He said. What He said was through Jesus. What He said is what we heard through Jesus. And what He said is the message of salvation. Don't drift. So let's start, number one, the danger of drifting. The word drift is an important word for you and I to kind of contemplate because it has a depth of meaning that is hard to translate with just one word. The word had lots of ideas behind it. One of the words, one of the meanings of the word was something that slips off because of something acting on it. And it was actually used in some Greek texts outside of the Bible about a person's ring slipping off. You caught your ring on something. There was some force that you caught your ring on. And when you snagged it, it slipped off of your finger and ended up where you did not want it to be. So you have something where you want it. A force acts on it and it ends up where you don't want it to be. I don't want it to be on the ground. I want it to be on my finger. It was also used in a particular instance of a person who was eating And they were swallowing their food. And while they were swallowing their food, they kind of coughed a little and it went down the wrong way. Have you ever done that? Isn't that not just embarrassing? You're at a restaurant, you're eating away, you're talking, all of a sudden you go, and the food goes down the wrong way. Your face turns red and you start coughing and gagging and spitting. This word was actually used for that. It meant that something looked like it was headed the right way, something acted on it, and it ended up going where you didn't want it to go. So take two ideas. One idea, something is stationary where you want it. Something acts on it. It ends up where you don't want it to be. Or something is moving, and it looks like it's headed to the right place. I mean, most of the time when I'm aiming with my mouth, it is going to go into my stomach. But every now and then, something happens, and it goes into my lungs. So it looks like it's going the right way. Something acts on it, and it ends up where you don't want it to be. Now, a third way that it was used, and is probably most characterized here, of a ship. And that's why the word drift is used. It, It would have an idea of a ship that was sort of on course, and it needed to make a turn and go into a port, and maybe it was a narrow passage into the port, so the ship appears to be on course, but because of some inattention or inaccuracy of the person who's steering, or maybe just a moment of ADHD, he's looking off at the birds or something, he doesn't pay attention, and the ship gets off course, and it misses its port, and it ends up where it doesn't want to be, in a dangerous place rather than in a safe port. Now, there was also another meaning, because I said it could be something in motion. It could be something that's stationary, that needs to stay stationary, that doesn't stay stationary. And it could be a ship that's already set into port, but it has not dropped its anchor. They forget to let the anchor down. Everybody gets off the boat, and because the anchor's not down, the boat just starts kind of drifting, drifting. Drifting. Kenneth McCall told me a story about one time when they were on vacation at one of the beaches and Robin Briley drifted off. Robin, didn't, uh, didn't that happen? He was on a, floating on something and he just kind of drifted off. 
So you think it's good, it's going to stay there, and it just drifts off. Now, here's what's happening. He's talking to them about their faith. And he's saying, you guys, you proclaim that you have a faith in this Messiah. He's writing to the church. And some of you appear to be anchored, but you're not. You hadn't let your anchor down. Some of you appear to be on course to get into the heavenly port, the salvation port, but, but because you lost attention to where you really needed to go, you drifted and you didn't end up in the heavenly port. Now let me give you two pictures. Uh, start off first. There are forces at work that lead to drifting. The first one, internal and then external. Hold right there for me, Daniel. Internal and external. <clears throat> In the book of Hebrews, this church is dealing with forces that are endangering the legitimacy of their faith. Some of that church appears to be headed into the port, the heavenly port. They appear to be going into the right place, but because of a little bit of inaccuracy over a long period of time, they actually end up not in the heavenly port. They actually drift off and end up not saved because they thought they were going to follow Jesus, but at some point they neglected and they just went off on their own. Or others appear to be settled in their faith, but the truth is they've never let their anchor down, and so their ship is sitting in what appears to be a safe port, but because the anchor never went down and connected to what is solid down under there, a little bit of drift, a little bit of drift, and it's no longer in the port. And so this book is very serious about our salvation. So these forces are on us too. Some of us who are here today, you, I, maybe, giving every appearance of heading in the right place. But because our focus has not been on who Jesus is, what He did, and where He's taking us, we actually drift off somewhere else. Come back to this church in 10 years and reassess where everybody is. Come back in 20. There will be those that will have appeared to be dead on heading into port and they will be so far off in 10 years or 20 years that you'll say, how could that happen? Others will look like they are safely settled and already there and everything in their faith is just right, but because their faith never really connects with who Jesus is, what He did and where He's taking us, they never let their anchor down into that and they slowly just drift out. Let me show you two pictures that explain that. First one, Daniel. Y'all remember this? The Costa Concordia, big cruise ship because of the desires inside the captain's heart to pass by and make a little salute to someone that was on the island. He veers a little bit off course. He's done it before. He thinks it's going to be fine. But because of a little inattention to where he was actually headed, a little drift from where he really should have been, he hits a hidden reef and the boat rolls over. His internal desire for pride his inattention to the fact he wasn't even on the bridge at the time leads to a disaster. The writer to the Hebrews is saying, your faith, if not rooted in who Jesus is, what He has done and where He is taking us, may not be legitimate. 
And just a little drift may wreck your soul. Next picture. There you go. Do y'all know about this ship? This ship was just spotted off the coast of Canada. It has been drifting since the day of the tsunami in Japan. That's more than a year. Because it was not properly anchored, water came up and drifted this vessel out to sea. Nobody was on it. And here he is over a year later. They're watching it because it's getting closer to the coastline of Canada. Over, It's on the Pacific Ocean over on the western coast. And this photograph was in the news this week of a boat that's been drifting for more than a year. It is not where it started. It's just drifted off. When we read chapter 2, verse 1, there is a seriousness that the writer to the Hebrews is addressing us at. That you may give all appearance today of being where you want to be, but if it is not anchored in who Jesus is, what He has done for you, and where He's taking you, you may, within weeks, months, or years, be completely, completely drifted, as He says there, away. And so the danger is that there are forces that work to lead to drifting. Next, next one, Daniel. And it says A, but there were some problems with my PowerPoint. Go ahead, Daniel. There are failures in us that lead to drifting. There is a word that is used a little bit later in verse 3. In the New American Standard, the translation says, How shall we escape if we neglect? The word neglect means to quit paying attention to. It means to be attention deficit. It means that there's something really, really, really important in your life that you need to pay attention to. But if you neglect that, if you do not see it properly and assess it rightly and believe it genuinely, then how shall we escape if we neglect my brothers and sisters salvation is not a light thing it is serious it is eternal the consequences of it and the benefits of it are so incredibly astounding yet our attention deficit of not seeing and knowing who Christ is, that we worship Him. Not believing and entrusting ourselves into what He has done. Not enduringly hoping in where He will take us. If we are not engaged in that, my brothers and sisters, our drift may be our destruction. And so the writer to the Hebrews is warning very powerfully in this language, that there are forces internal, some of my own desires external, things like persecution and pressure that I live with daily, things like lures and temptations on the outside, things like desires and lusts on the inside that could prove to be the things more valuable to me than Christ Himself so that I do not consider who He is or what He has done or where He could take us. And I simply walk away. 
Now, I'm hoping that the language that I'm using is at least disturbing you a little about whether or not a person can lose their salvation. Now, I want to tell you plainly, I do not believe a person can lose their salvation. But I do believe that we can give every indication to others and ourselves that we are headed into the right port. And because our faith is not rested in who Jesus is, what He did, and where He's taking us, we can end up not in heaven. I do believe we can look like we are all settled and in the port, but we have never dropped anchor and by faith connected to the, to the deep, grounded, permanent truth of who Christ is, what He's done for us, and where He's taking us, so that everything on the outside can look like we are saved, but because of the drift and because of the lack of anchor, any one of us may have an appearance of salvation and not yet possess salvation. So the writer of the Hebrews does not infer the loss of something. He infers the danger of something looking correct while at the same time not being connected to Christ. So as we move into the second point, number two, the destination of drifters. What does the Bible say is going to happen with drifters? Well, let's read in verse 2. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense or reward, how shall we escape if we neglect, that means not pay attention to, so great a salvation? First, I want to remind you that this verse tells us, letter A, of in disputable justice. When the Bible says a just recompense, apart from the salvation of God, if you stand before, apart from what Jesus did for you on the cross, if you stand before God, you will receive an indisputable justice. Just as the Scripture says here, a just recompense, God's justice in sending, sending sinners to hell God's justice in sending those who have not connected, anchored their hearts by faith to Jesus Christ. God's justice is indisputable. If He was going to punish those who heard the law that was ordained by angels by things like the ground opening up and thousands falling in, by snakes coming out and killing thousands by plagues, by acts that are undeniably fearsome. If God is not going to spare those who tried to chase Israel across the Red Sea and wash over their bodies and drown them, if God is not going to spare those who built the golden calf and were slain that day by the sword by their own brethren, if God is not going to spare those, do you think for one second He would spare you apart from Christ? This indisputable justice that is spoken of here 
says in the book of Romans that every mouth will be closed and everyone will be accountable to God. So that on the day you stand before God, you will either be clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, our Savior, because you anchored your faith in Him, or you will stand completely bare before Him in your sin and you will be justly recompensed. And it will be indisputable. The second destination of drifters is an inescapable recompense. Look at the word recompense or reward. <clears throat> In chapter two, chapter 2, verse 2, For the words spoken through angels proved to be unalterable. Every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense. There is coming for everyone a day of inescapable recompense for everyone who is outside of Christ. I cannot imagine what that's going to be like. When we read in the book of the Revelation that books are opened and another book is opened and people stand before God and everyone whose name was not found written in the Lamb's book of life was cast alive into the lake of fire. My brothers and sisters, that should upset us to the core of our soul for two reasons. One, it is what we deserve. It is inescapably and indisputably what every one of us deserves. But my brothers and sisters, though we be saved and we know Christ, it is where others without Christ are heading. David Platt tweeted the other day from a mission trip that he was on. He was in a region that is 0.05% Christian. He said, in the region that I'm in, 0.05% are Christian. And 5,000 people die every day in this region. So therefore, 4,995 people go to hell every day in one region of the world. There should be something about that that rattles us, disturbs us. Here, we also understand, let us see, that it comes from an incomparable author. Notice what I pointed out to you last week in chapter 2, verse 2. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, they're not even the author. <laughs> if, they, if what was spoken by angels proved to be unalterable, what about the word that is spoken through God the Son? It's kind of like this. If I tell Laurel, Laurel, go and tell Laney she needs to do such and such. And if Laney knows that I gave Laurel that word and Laurel gave that word to Laney, Laney also knows how much more accountable she would be if I personally step in and I say the word. You might wriggle around with it if it's coming from Laurel and saying, are you sure that's what Dad said? Are you sure that's exactly what he said? But if I come in and I say it myself, well, 
the law ordained by angels and the salvation spoken through Jesus, the incomparable author is that the one who's given us these words is God the Son. And if it was unalterable when angels spoke it, my brothers and sisters, you can count that this incomparable author's words are unalterable as well. So when we see the destination of drifters, we begin to get the seriousness of this message. This message has with it an incredible, potent warning about drift and about drifters. But it doesn't leave us there. Thank God. Come now to the third point. What is the defense against drifting? Now, I want to get your attention somewhere else for a second because I know, I hope you thought like me about the tsunami and the ship that drifted, that you would say something like this. What kind of boat could even anchor and survive a tsunami? Did any of you think that? Maybe a few of you went, oh, what's up with that? Why would you even use that? Here's why. Come with me to Hebrews chapter 6. Because what is about to happen in the church that has this letter to them, if this is truly written as we think it was, 63-4 A.D., something is about to happen. The Neronian, the, the persecution under Nero is about to hit the church. And my brothers and sisters, it's going to be a tsunami. This is where we're going to get people burned alive and thrown to the lions. This is where we're going to get a kind of cataclysmic persecution that the church has not yet seen at this level. It is going to go region, empire-wide, and Christians are going to get a tsunami effect of pain. That's why the writer of the Hebrews, when he uses the word drift, I think it's a sailing term because he answers drift in chapter 6. I'm getting way ahead of myself, but I told you I'd have to jump back and jump forward. Come with me to chapter 6. <clears throat> um, wow, there's so much I could say, but I've got to make it succinct. Verse 17. <clears throat> In the same way, God desiring even more to show the heirs of His promise the unchangeableness of His purpose. But this means that God's salvation is so powerful when anchored in Christ that it can't be changed. My brothers and sisters, I'm going to restate. I do not believe you can lose your salvation. And this is the clarity of that. He says here, when He determined to do this, He interposed it with an oath. Verse 18, in order to buy two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, that we may have strong encouragement, we who have fled for refuge in laying hold of the hope set before us. That hope is who Jesus is, what He has done, and where He's taking us. That's what the hope is. We who fled from the wrath, fled for salvation, and laid hold of this hope. We who've done this, this is unchangeable. God can't lie. What does He say? Verse 19, this, <laughs> this hope we have is an anchor for the soul. This hope is the anchor. 
what he's saying is there has to be a connection between the ship of your life that is sailing on the waters of uncertainty and the bedrock of who Jesus is, what he did, and where he's taking us so that no matter what hits you, that anchor holds and you are not drifting away. Because the tsunami is coming on them. Notice where this anchor lays hold, though. Verse, 18, verse 19, This hope we have is an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, one which enters within the veil. This is the place that none of the people were allowed to go. They couldn't go inside the veil. And here, our hope is the hope that anchors not in the religious system. It goes inside the veil. It anchors to the presence of God. This is awesome. I mean, this is good. That's where our hope is. It is in the presence of God. Who is in the presence of God? Jesus, who brought His own blood into the presence of God and purchased redemption for us. It's unchangeable. This is good. So the defense against drifting, my brothers and sisters, go back up to chapter 2, and we kind of go back to the beginning of the chapter, and we're going to close this up. And I've got a little video I want to show you in a second. For this reason... We must pay much closer attention. This is that whole ADD thing for me. I, I, it, I, I really struggle with this. And by the way, it's, I, the Lord is blessed that when I preach, I don't have it. Somebody will say to me, did you see that kid fall off the balcony the other day? I said, no. I, I, I didn't even know there was kids here. I just, I just get focused and thank God because I really, I could be noticing your clothes and what team you're rooting for through the things that you got on and whether or not you got new glasses. If my ADHD, I would be going, where was I? Do y'all remember the movie Up? Who saw the movie Up? Raise your hand. Okay, squirrel. That is Bart Walker. You can be talking to me, squirrel. Know what we're talking about? Where was it? See, that's the thing. The defense against drifting first is much closer attention. The Word has two powerful statements in it. The first one is necessity. We need. There's a necessity here. This is not optional. This is a must. And the closer attention is a word that means to hold something in front of you. It means to do this with it. It doesn't mean to do this with it. Doesn't mean to set it over here. It means to actually hold it right in front of you. It, it's the union of two words: to hold or to have, and before. It means to hold it before you. Our job in making sure of our salvation is to hold in front of us who Jesus is, what He's done, and where He's taking us. When we hold that in front of us, then our ADA doesn't kick in and cause us to drift. To the defense against drifting, letter A, we must give closer attention to what has been spoken. What has been spoken? Jesus. Let's give our attention to that. Letter B, consider the evidence. What is the evidence? Well, look in verse 4. God also bearing witness with them by both signs and wonders and by various miracles and gifts by the Holy Spirit according to His own will. God evidenced this 
first in the life of Jesus and all of his healing and miracles and things he did, and then in the life of the first apostles with some very incredibly special miracles that they did that were specifically recorded for us in the book of Acts as anchor points of evidence that this God can do anything and that he had given testimony in the Old Testament and evidenced it in the New. Letter C, recognize the source of what has been spoken. This didn't come from some preacher. This didn't come from somebody that God spoke this in Jesus. Our salvation was spoken by God in Jesus. We need to look at the source and say, wow. Can you hook that video up for me now, Daniel? I'll give Daniel a second while he hooks something up for me. We had some technical problems with our wireless over here today, so we had to get something recorded and bring it over on a different device, and he's going to set that up now. Here's what I want to ask you. Have you ever noticed uh, there are different things you need to pay different levels of attention to? Um, I can text pretty good when I'm eating, but I am not good at texting when I'm driving. Is that right? Are you all with me? I mean, texting when I'm eating is just not that big a deal. It's just food to mouth. I've been doing that a long time. Okay? I got one thumb over here, and I got the, you know, I'm doing it, and I can just, I can eat a sandwich in text. I can eat soup in text, drink a milkshake in text. We do all kinds of things. Pizza. I mean, texting. But texting and driving, that's hard. In fact, you'll just go and read the newspaper. There are accidents all the time because we foolishly think we could do two things like that when something so important really needs our attention. So don't text and drive. Because if you lose your focus for just a couple of seconds, they say that you are more impaired texting and driving than driving drunk. So there are things that it matters how much attention you give to it, right? There are. When you give a two-year-old a, a, a coloring page and some crayons, that whole outside-the-lines thing is not a big deal, is it? But when your doctor's doing surgery on you, does the outside-of-the-lines thing matter? Is that a pancreas? A liver? I'm not sure. Let's just cut them both. No! It matters at different levels. But there is nothing. My brothers and sisters, listen carefully. My friends, there is nothing more important than your salvation. There's nothing more important than who Jesus is, what He's done for you, and where He's taken us. Nothing. Daniel, show that. Hold on one second. This is a video about how you do things carefully when they're important. Go ahead. <laughs> 